There we go. <clears throat> so today we celebrate Easter. And it seems, <clears throat> seems to me like it's a very welcome time to have this celebration. It's a, Easter is a holiday that is literally bursting with, with color and light and joy and hope. Um, and it coincides too with this the season, the arrival of spring. So we are having longer days and warmer weather, and the grass and trees and flowers start coming back. Now our our joy, of course, it doesn't depend on sunshine or on holiday traditions. But at the same time, it's it's a really wonderful gift when God does allow us to enjoy those things in the midst of this season that is otherwise uh, uncertain. Uh, it might be a little bit bleak or lonely or just downright sad for some people right now. But this time of year, it has marked a season of hope and renewal for a lot of different cultures for thousands of years. So for the Jews, it was Passover week, which was a celebration of God's redemption of Israel and the ushering in of a new year. And it was a reminder of how God rescued them from Egypt and brought them to the promised land. And even though if you look at pagan cultures, you'll find the spring season in general is just associated with hope and renewal and with symbols of fertility and abundance. And that makes sense. It's especially in regions of the world like this one where you really experience the changing of the seasons and the weather and spring brings a short break from the, the cold and the snow and actually being able to experience all of that is the all four seasons is one of the things I really love about living uh, up here in upstate New York. But we as Christians, we have a lot more to celebrate than just the weather, don't we? Uh, Easter is more than just an excuse to eat chocolate and to do fun things as as a family. So we also refer to this day as Resurrection Sunday because we get to celebrate the most incredible and wonderful and hope-filled news that there is in the whole world. Uh, the resurrection of Jesus Christ of Nazareth from the dead. He is risen. Uh, and that is the reason for the hope and the joy that we have regardless of our circumstances. So over the past few weeks, we've been talking about God's mission of, I was looking for he is risen indeed. <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, so we've been talking about God's mission of restoration in our relationships between us and him, as well as between each other. He wants us to join in on that mission. So we've used that as a lens to see how, a missional kingdom mindset should be impacting uh, our our prayer lives, our upward connection, as well as our, our social or, or socially distanced lives, showing Christ-like sacrificial love in the outward connections that we have with other people in our lives. And we talked last week about the importance of being able to explain the hope that we have and of sharing the story of God's grace in our lives. And later today, we'll actually get to hear another person. We heard from Chris last week, and today we'll get to hear another person share their story with the family here. And it's important to be able to give testimony, to bear witness to what God has done in your life. But even more important than that is understanding why it was possible in the first place for your sin and my sin 
yesterday, today, and tomorrow to be forgiven by God, for you to be justified, redeemed, and sanctified, uh, to be reborn into eternal life, both spiritually and physically. And Jesus, of course, made this possible by dying in our place, and he proved that it worked, that he conquered sin and death by coming back to life three days later. And that's why we get to celebrate, or, and what we get to celebrate on Easter. And it's interesting, um, even as Christians, Easter is still very closely associated with the Jewish celebration of Passover, like I mentioned earlier. Uh, and even the name, I was talking with Mike earlier about the, the etymology um, of the word and in other languages uh the name for easter actually means passover like in spanish pasqua is is a passover and that's the the word for for easter in spanish and when before jesus was arrested and killed um he celebrated passover with his disciples one last time one final time and we call it the last supper and we get our practice of communion from that and we see the, the sacrificial lamb of the Passover along with the bread and the wine. They're all metaphors for Christ himself. He was the ultimate sacrificial lamb who allowed his body to be broken and blood spilled out for us. And because Jesus died on a Friday and rose three days later, we celebrate that on Sunday. Every year on Easter, but then also every week when we come together to worship as a, a family. So I'm, I'm, and David, we uh, we talk about, about Passover. If you're not familiar with the Passover story, um, we we need to uh, back up and go back to the Book of Exodus and encourage you to read through that to catch up on the Passover story. The Passover is when the Jews were in Egypt as slaves for 400 years. And God heard their prayers. Now God told them they would be in that slavery. That wasn't even a punishment, actually that slavery, they were actually followed God into Egypt and God told them that they would be slaves uh, and that he would then release them. And he did that through uh, a bunch of miracles and pro proving his power over the most powerful man in the world at that time, proving his power over nature as he parted the Red Sea, proving his power over creation as he created the plagues. And all of that, along with the last of the plagues, which is the plague of death, is where the Passover took place. And that is where God showed his power over death, even allowing the Israelites to live and the, the firstborn of the Egyptians to die because of Pharaoh and his hardness of heart. So, so we, we just threw a whole lot in there about the Passover, but you need to go back to Exodus to get the backstory if you're not familiar with the Passover um, so that you can understand a little bit more of the symbolism of what takes place uh, mm -hmm. with that Passover. Yeah. Super powerful symbolism with Jesus um, being that, that sacrificial lamb, um, even the way they had to put blood on the, the doorposts and uh, a lot of really powerful imagery there. And I, I bring all of this up mainly just to point out that all these events together over these few days, the Passover meal, specifically the one that Jesus had, the, the Last Supper Passover meal, uh, and the, the crucifixion, the resurrection, all of these are really key pivotal events that shape the Christian faith. Uh, but the single most important factor by far is that last 
apart. All the other traditions, the teachings, the claims that Jesus made, none of that really matters unless he really is who he says he is. And the one thing that proved it was his resurrection. So without the resurrection, Christianity just falls apart. It's, it would be a sham and not worth your time or attention at all. And so if you don't believe in the resurrection of Christ, then don't bother with Christianity. And I know that might, that might sound a little bit harsh, but you know, it's, it's not really my words. Those are basically Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 15, 17. He says, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless and you are still in your sins. Uh, that's even harsher, I think. Um, and in fact, this whole chapter of, of 1 Corinthians, chapter 15, is basically a whole explanation of how important the resurrection is, how essential it is. So I'd encourage you to open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, if you have a Bible handy. Um, we're going to look at this together. There's a ton of stuff packed into chapter 15. It's a typical Paul type of chapter where there's just, it's, there's a ton of stuff in here. So we're only going to read through part of it together, but we're going to read a good chunk of it. Uh, so, but I would encourage you to bookmark it or write it down and, and come back to it if you'd like to come back and spend more time just pondering the resurrection and from Paul's perspective, uh, you can spend a lot of time uh, in it. But for now, I'm just going to read through roughly the first third of the chapter, um, starting right from the beginning. And I'd encourage you to, to read along with me. First Corinthians chapter 15. Now, I want to make clear for you, brothers and sisters, the gospel I preached to you, which you received, on which you have taken your stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold to the message I preached to you, unless you believed in vain, for I passed on to you as, mo as most important what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised again on the third day, according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. Then he appeared to over 500 brothers and sisters at one time. Most of them are still alive, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one born at the wrong time, he also appeared to me. For I am the least of the apostles, not worthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it is I or they, so we proclaim, and, you so, and so you have believed. So it starts off with basically just a presentation of the gospel, and you see how he kind of wove his own story into there as well. Uh, going back to what we talked about last week. We're going to continue reading, though. Uh, now we're in verse 12. Now, in Christ, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our proclamation is in vain, and so is your faith. Moreover, we are found to be false witnesses about God because we have testified wrongly about God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then even Christ has been, has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. 
you are still in your sins. Those then who have fallen asleep in Christ have also perished. If we have put our hope in Christ for this life only, we should be pitied more than anyone. But as it is, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through uh, a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For just as in Adam all die, so all in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his own order. Christ the first fruits afterward at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father, when he abolishes all rule and all authority and power, for he must reign until he puts all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be abolished is death, for God has put everything under his feet. Now, when it says everything is put under him, it is obvious that he who puts everything under him is the exception. When everything is subject to Christ, then the Son himself will also be subject to the one who subjected everything to him, so that God may be all in all. So again, even just in that first section, there's a lot of stuff to unpack. But just to quickly summarize the big picture of what I think Paul is trying to get across here, he's saying that the resurrection is absolutely essential, starting with the gospel itself, and it's essential to our faith and to the hope we have of being raised to eternal life with Jesus in an uncorrupted and sinless world. And he goes on to expound on that idea quite a bit throughout the rest of the chapter. It's very cool, very dense, and it's impossible to summarize that part. Uh, but the, the point is the resurrection is important. And in a little bit, I want to circle back to what that means for us. Uh, but first, having established how important it is, I want to spend a little bit of time just reflecting on why we believe and why did anyone believe it happened, let alone billions of people over thousands of years. Given the fact that without the resurrection, Christianity just totally unravels, like I said before, it's not a surprise that it is one of the most debated and denied claims made by Christianity. So because we are called to explain the hope that is within us, I think it's worth looking at just some of the, the logic and the evidence behind this claim. Of course, I don't want to discount the necessity of actually having faith, as with literally anything else you, you believe, uh, but I also don't believe we're called to have blind or uninformed faith. And we're only going to be able to scratch the surface of you know, the argument today, and this isn't going to be a masterclass in apologetics or a, you know, PhD level philosophical argument, but if either of those things sound interesting to you, please let me know, because I can certainly point you in the direction of some, some really good resources along those lines, uh, if you really want to dig deeper. For now, I'm just going to point out a few elements of the story and throw a few facts at you just to kind of get you thinking. So first of all, it's just a fact that Jesus of Nazareth did exist. He was a real person. He lived during that time period, as the Bible claims, and very few people try to deny this because there's honestly more evidence that Jesus lived than there is for just about any other historical figure. Now, some people will try to deny that he died on the cross, uh, choosing to believe in some kind of conspiracy theory that it was all faked. However, to do this means you really have to ignore every eyewitness account, including sources apart from the Bible. Uh, the details are very specific about how and when Jesus was killed. And plus, on top of that, it's 
a well-known fact, historical fact, that Romans were really experts at killing people. They, they knew what they were doing, and they made sure he was dead. And similarly, you'll find that the burial of Jesus is one of the earliest and most best attested to facts about Jesus, with scholars generally agreeing that there's nothing indicating it's some kind of legend or hoax. Of course, you're going to find people who try to deny it, but when you boil it down, what I'm saying is it takes more faith to not believe that Jesus died and was buried than to believe he was. It just makes more sense. Uh, and in each of the gospel accounts from, from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they each describe how he was buried in a rich man's tomb, Joseph of Arimathea. He was actually a secret follower of Jesus. He was afraid of the Jews, but he followed Jesus, and he gave him his own tomb, which would have been kind of like a little cave carved out of a, a rock in a garden, and it was near where the crucif crucifixion took place. So I'm going to read uh, through Matthew's account of that, and that's in Matthew chapter 27, verses 54 through 66. When it was evening, a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph came, who himself had also become a disciple of Jesus. He approached Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Then Pilate ordered that it be released. So Joseph took the body, wrapped it in clean, fine linen, and placed it in his new tomb, which he had cut into the rock. He left after rolling a great stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were seated there facing the tomb. The next day, which followed the preparation day, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, we remember that while this deceiver was still alive, he said, After three days I will rise again. So, give orders that the tomb be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come, steal him, and tell the people he has been raised from the dead, and the last deception will be worse than the first. You have a guard of soldiers, Pilate told them. Go and make it as secure as you know how. So they went and secured the tomb by setting a seal on the stone and placing the guard. So here there's really no question that he was dead. And not only was he in a tomb with a big heavy stone against the entrance, but that stone then had a Roman seal put on it and guards at the entrance so that no one could steal the body. The Jewish religious leaders were worried that someone would try to fake a resurrection. And they collaborated with the Romans, who they would normally not get along with, to do everything possible to prevent that. And just think about that for a minute. The, they're the most powerful and influential people at that time, doing everything in their power to prevent a deceitful, fake resurrection. And in spite of that, there's also no denying that his tomb, in which he was sealed away, was really empty three days later. The linens in which he was wrapped were still there, but the body was gone. And even his enemies, the people who would have really loved to disprove it, could not deny that. They tried to make up stories to cover it up, but they couldn't deny the tomb was empty. 
And then as Paul brings up in the passage we read earlier, Jesus appeared not only to his closest disciples, but to over 500 people who testified to seeing the living resurrected Christ. That's more than enough to provide both a legal and just a logical basis for verifying this claim. Well, and I think that's such a, a big part of it, David, as you bring up, it's like, yeah, anybody could say the tomb was empty or the guards did this or the guards did that. And, and so they can def- try to dispute, okay, you know, so the disciples took the body, which is what one group said, you know, or mm-hmm. this happened or that happened. But, but when Jesus appears to people, all of a sudden it's like, okay, now, now you have a whole separate situation because <laughs> now it's not like, okay, so the women were at the tomb or the soldiers were at the tomb. So who actually was there at that one moment? But now you have over 500 people who see Jesus later on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's huge. And then beyond that, <laughs> the the rigidity with which they stuck to this claim is is remarkable. We can see that this event marked a dramatic shift in his his disciples, even his closest disciples, went from a sort of cautious and skeptical attitude uh, to just complete and utter faith, even being willing willing to be ostracized and beaten and killed uh, for their belief. So you can look at Jesus himself and say he was either totally crazy or a liar, or he just was who he said he was. And the first two options really don't make much sense, even just for that one person, so it makes even less sense and takes an incredible amount of faith to believe that all of the other people who followed his example were also crazy or liars. And then finally, the fact that Christianity, it didn't die out. It didn't peter out. It, it grew exponentially and obviously lives today. And that fact in itself is significant. Christianity lives because Christ lives. And even as the apostles were spreading the gospel in the the very early days of the church, there was a Pharisee named uh, Gamaliel, and he understood this this concept. And we find that in Acts chapter 5, starting in verse 29, the apostles are being confronted by the religious leaders who don't like that they're spreading this news that that Jesus uh, raised from the dead, and they're, they're spreading this good news. And the religious leaders want them to stop. And so this is, this is their reply, Acts 5.29. Peter and the apostles replied, We must obey God rather than people. The God of our ancestors raised up Jesus, whom you had murdered by hanging him on a tree. God exalted this man to his right hand as ruler and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. We are witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law who was respected by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered the men to be taken outside for a little while. He said to them, men of Israel, be careful about what you're about to do to these men. Some time ago, Theodos rose up, claiming to be someone. And a group of about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed, and all his followers were dispersed and came to nothing. After this man, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and attracted a following. He also perished, and all his followers were scattered. So 
in the present case, I tell you, stay away from these men and leave them alone, for if this plan or this work is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them, and you may even be found fighting against God. Super wise, wise words from uh, Gamaliel. He understood that, that concept. And so again, we've really only scratched the, the surface of this topic, but those are just a few of the main premises that I see for, for believing in the resurrection. So there's like six, six things in there. His very public death, his well-documented burial, the undeniable discovery of his empty tomb, and then his many post-mortem appearances to various people, uh, the disciples' dramatic shift from skepticism to faith, and then the survival of this claim, just standing the test of time, despite coming up against a lot of uh, persecution. So when we, we talk about the gospel, uh, oh, and I'll, I'll add to that. Um, if you yourself have any other um, points to add to those six things. I'd love to, to hear uh, or see from you if there's other reasons um, that you find to, to add to that list. Um, but kind of to circle back around to talking about, you know, the gospel in general and our, and our hope when we're talking about these things that we've been talking about for, for weeks, uh, when we talk about our hope, this is it. This is the good news uh, that Jesus is God in human form that he lived a sinless life on earth so he could be a perfect, unblemished, sacrificial lamb, and that he died on a cross to pay for our sins, and then that he was buried and three days later raised from the dead. He lives now in heaven and will return to fully consummate his kingdom. And his return is that's a whole other topic, but just simply the fact that he will return is, is a part of this hope. So there's, there's three ways... Uh, in which the resurrection gives us hope. First of all, it just means that Jesus is who he says he was and is able, was able to conquer sin and death and pay for our sins so that we are saved from separation from God. Rather, we are reconciled to God because of Jesus. Uh, so that's the first thing. Uh, the second is that because Jesus was and is human, he showed us that we ourselves can be resurrected, not only spiritually, but also physically. The resurrection of Christ is, is unique uh, compared to other, there were other humans that were raised from the dead in both the Old and New Testaments. You look at Lazarus, for example, Jesus raised from the dead, but then Lazarus still eventually had to die and his body decayed. And that's the reality for all of us. But Jesus he was fully glorified as we one day will be to an eternal life uncorrupted by sin. And that's an incredible hope to have. And then finally, again, just knowing that he is alive, we have uh, comfort in his presence now, but also hope in his, his return. Uh, we don't know when that will happen or exactly what, it will look like, uh, but we do know that it, it's good news because we live in a world that is, it's teeming with God's beauty, but it's also tarnished by sin and corruption. And when Jesus comes back, it will be to 
put an end to that and to finally reunite heaven and earth, us and him forever. So let's, let's focus our, our hearts and minds on this, this hope that we have with gratitude, with praise, and not just today, but every day, but certainly today on, on Resurrection Sunday. Uh, and like I mentioned earlier, we're going to get to hear uh, testimony from someone whose life has been impacted by Jesus. Uh, and we have it as a video recording. Hopefully that'll work well for everyone. Yeah, before we dive into the, that, um, you know, as we think about this Easter weekend, David, and we talk about the focus in particular on this being Resurrection Sunday, um, you know, one, one of the things that, that I know you and I dialogued about a little bit earlier in the week is, you know, we have Good Friday. And it's like, why do we call it Good Friday? And, you know, <laughs> why do we say Happy Easter? When you think about the events, there's kind of this, uh, this, a dichotomy almost there's this, this tension between the, the celebration and also the remorse um, of, of the events of this of this historical weekend right yeah definitely yeah, and good friday is an interesting uh way to describe <laughs> friday on which jesus was murdered brutally yeah yeah and and i think that one of the things that that's you know, we look at as we talk about the resurrection is um, we focus even in so many things like the, the passion of the Christ. We focus on the extreme brutality of what he went through for our sins and that he had to die on a cross and the, the, that ultimate sacrifice that he made. And that's such an important part of our uh, of our freedom um, through Christ. But but yet, if there was just a death for our sins and just a burial, going back to that original statement that you made, um, then if that was the end of it and there was no resurrection, then as Paul says, our faith is in vain, right? Mm -hmm. So, so how do, so how do you de describe or explain? And maybe we can open this up to some to the group when it comes to the claims of Christians. It's we focus on the death often and and the tomb. But the resurrection, how do we explain the resurrection and why that is so significant that Paul would say, without it, there's no, there's no Christianity, there's no faith, you know, pity, pity the people who believe if there's no resurrection. Um, why would you say, and I'll open this up to the group and, and to David, why would you say that that's such a significant claim? What is it? Um, could you explain clearly in just a few words to somebody what it is about the resurrection that makes that? that claim so significant. And Tabby made a good point there that Jesus fulfills many very specific prophecies. And that's, it's a great point that he, even in the specific details of his death, the way he was pierced in his side and no bones are broken, that was fulfillments of prophecies. Whereas the other two who were crucified with him had their legs broken. He didn't. Oh, that was Paul. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Thanks for the clarification. Give credit where credit's due. Yeah. <laughs> and Jesus himself prophesied that he would, as the, the priests knew, they got it. It's kind of funny that so, so some of the disciples were the most surprised that he actually resurrected, whereas the priests were the ones who remembered he actually predicted that he would resurrect. So let's make sure he doesn't. <laughs> um, but he prophesied his own resurrection. 
Maria says the resurrection proved that he was God. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. By rising, he rising. conquered death and the grave beat Satan. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and Mary, can you, can you think of the verse that that goes back to versus beating Satan? Um, can you think of a specific verse that that ties back to? In the Old Testament. Yes. Yep. Genesis three mm -hmm. fifteen. Yeah. The serpent crushed his head, bruised, bruised his heel. Yeah. The serpent gets the heel. Or, yeah. Then his head gets crushed. I think as we think too, you mentioned that it, you know he died for our sins and it shows power over death. Um, when you think about the resurrection and why the power over death was so significant, um, you do have to go back to that curse in Genesis. You're right, Parker family, um, because mm -hmm. the the promise from if you eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is that you will surely die, and that's exactly what took place that death in the garden. And so the the conquering of that death is is super significant. Um, there's so many claims that were made, but to go take it back to that original sin, even as the passage that David read in, in uh, Corinthians talked about um, the, the first Adam and the second Adam, he's taking us back to that Genesis narrative and saying, you know, this is, this is undoing what mankind did. Um, but it's not just undoing what Adam and Eve did, right? Not, not just what they did, because we're, right. we're part of that. Yep. Cool. So, David, I want to thank you for bringing up the, the, the teaching and focusing specifically on um, the resurrection, because that's, it's so important that we spend time on that. Mm. Yeah, that verse is a very definitive statement. Resurrection is the cornerstone of our belief because atonement wouldn't be accomplished. Mm -hmm. There's a good, there's a good churchy word, atonement. Yeah, it's this propitiation and atonement. Uh, uh, <laughs> you're about to get David to geek out on all sorts of theological terms. You want to define atonement for us? Are you talking to me or Seth? Yes. <laughs> Seth should since he's the one that used it. All right. So uh, while Seth is trying to define that uh, for us, because I know he will, and you'll be impressed, I'm sure. Um, what I'm going to do is I'm going to share my screen and uh, I want to share a, a, the testimony from Danny um, Tyner and, and Danny pre-recorded this for us because uh, where they live, the internet connection is not always stable and he wanted to make sure we could uh, uh, get this out to you. Um, so uh, appreciate Danny taking the effort to do that and then driving out and dropping it off on my porch so that we have it. Um, let me click screen share and share this. Um, testimony.
Not getting any audio, Mike. Not getting any audio? Okay. Well, hang on, Danny. I know you're saying stuff, so let me get you on there. <laughs> you have to make sure to choose to share your computer yeah. audio when you go to share the screen. Uh, Seth says that atonement equals blood-bought forgiveness. It's nice and concise. Can you do it in two words, though, instead of three, Seth? Come on. All right, here we go. Here's a... <laughs> well, that's why we have the one word, atonement. Right, right. Okay, fair enough. All right, let's see if this works now. Everyone, um, my name's Dan Tyner. There I live is. in Natural Bridge, my wife and kids. Pastor Mike asked me to come on here and give my testimony and introduce myself to you guys, my Christian family. And I thought I would do that. With the Corona-19 virus, unfortunately, we can't be together, so we have to do it remotely. So here I am. During my childhood, I attended a Baptist church in Watertown with my parents. Um, I was forced to go to church at that point, as a child would be, and um, it was not something I wanted to do. I'd rather have been out doing boy stuff on Sundays, but um, that's okay. As I transitioned through adolescence into adulthood, I did not go to church. I believed in God. However, he was not in my heart and I was not focused on him. I was focused on material things. Later in adulthood, I started going down a sinful, very sinful path. And um, during that time, I actually became ill and was taken off my feet for quite a few months. And um, during this time, I'm confident that it was the hand of God on me, giving me time to reflect on my life. And um, it was the pause I needed to realize that I was not doing living life like I should be living life. And um, it gave me time to come up with a plan. Um, in my plan, I wanted to get the things that I've been looking for that are important to me, like honor, morality, commitment. Um, these are things I find I value. And um, so, that started me on my path to becoming a better person. Um, I would like to thank God for the people who helped me through this time and my journey to finding Jesus. Um, my wife, Jeannie, who um, joined me in the journey and strengthened my faith. My friends, Lou and Connie, who answered my biblical questions and took away doubts that I had and were constantly pushing me forward. Um, one pivotal time I remember is Lou looking me in the eye and asking me if I'd allowed Jesus into my life yet. I said, not yet. And he said, why? It's a free gift. And that was a um, valid point. <laughs> my parents never gave up faith in me and they always prayed for me through my life. And I thank them for that. Um, Pastor Mike, he guided me on how to give my life to Jesus. So that was really cool. So finally came to the point in my life where I could not come up with any more excuses or and my doubts had been answered, questions had been answered, nothing was holding me back. Um, so one morning before church, um, during the summer of 19, last year, my wife and I uh, went outside and professed to God and gave our life to Jesus and asked for forgiveness of our sins. So what an amazing feeling that was um, to feel free and finally belong to the body of God. Um, so I can finally live the life I've been longing for. And um, 
it was impossible before I became righteous in the eyes of God. I am grateful for the mentoring and encouragement I've received along the way from family and friends and the Christian family, you guys. It's um, awesome. Everybody's been great with this journey. And um, so now that I know Jesus, it's um, quite a difference in my life. I no longer ask why things have happened to me. And now I pray to God and ask, how do you want me to do? What do you want me to do with the situation you have put me in? So it, it's quite a difference. I'm more settled now. I feel closer to my wife and um, find purpose in life being a Christian. Um, what a, and I hope to be more of a blessing to others. Um, I've always felt like there was something bigger to happen in my life, and now I'm. It's here, right? It's um, there's nothing bigger than to represent God. So, anyways, this is me, and um, thank you guys, and I'm looking forward to living life with you all, and um, God bless. Wow, there's nothing bigger than to reflect God. What a yeah, powerful statement. Um, thank you, Danny. That's. David and I read through your testimony and we were just like, wow, I can't wait for him to share this with everybody. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, because of the fact that it's just so focused on what God has done. And, and I think that David, if there was a seventh proof in your list, mm. um, it would have to be the way that God continues to change lives mm -hmm. uh, even today. And uh and, and testimonies, hearing the testimonies of the way God continues to change lives. Um, it's just so, uh, such a great testimony of the resurrection and the new life that we have because of Christ. Mm, absolutely. Well, um, should we close this time and, uh, some prayer and then open up for more discussion and let people chime in. All right. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Lord, Heavenly Father, uh, we praise you for who you are this morning. We are humbled and just so grateful that you would have so much love and grace for us that you would while we were yet sinners send Christ to die for us and it's just a awesome and, and powerful thing to reflect on uh, what it means that you rose from the dead uh, and that you are alive today that you are risen I pray that you would help us to um, to ponder that and to really appreciate that fact, uh, not just today, but every day uh, and, and live our lives accordingly. In Jesus name I pray. Amen. So I'm going to allow any participants to unmute them.